I think everybody has to do a bit of that self-exploration and searching to figure out what level of structure do I need in order to get to whatever might be appropriate for me down the road. And there's certain fields that you absolutely have to do, right? If you're going to be a doctor, there's certain steps you have to take. That was never my path. Hi everyone, it's Marcy Bullock. Welcome back to season three of Wolfpack Career Chats, the anchor season. A, ambition. N, networking. C, compassion. H, health, both mental and physical. O, organization. And R, resilient. Enjoy the pod. Listeners, Marcy Bullock with Josh Perry today. Hello, Josh. Great to see you coming from Massachusetts. And I'm so excited to have you on today to talk about creating meaning in our lives. So start off with the elevator pitch. Tell our listeners a little bit about your story, please. Sure. So the biggest thing for me right now is I am part-time at a university in New York, being largely remote, so I can live here in Massachusetts with my family. And it's been kind of an interesting transition when most of the campuses are going back to in-person as much as possible. Background-wise, I have a degree in student affairs administration, which I got in order to work at a university. That was after a pretty good amount of time in music and history and originally thinking I was going to wander my way into a professorship one day as a music history professor. That didn't go quite the way I thought. And so instead decided to stay in the university in a different way. And that's kind of where I got to it. The rest of my time I spend at the moment kind of developing a little side business for consulting with other programs like the one that I work for, as well as doing a bit of coaching, counseling kind of work on the side. That's great. You and I share the love of working in a university setting. And I know you work with some underrepresented groups and first generation students. And it's so important to have role models that can lift them up. With your situation now, you are doing this part time so that you can be near your family and kind of flipping the gender roles a little bit, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. My wife finished up her PhD and then she graduated right at the start of COVID uh, with her PhD and was you know, trying to look for opportunities and positions and applying to stuff and wound up finding a position with a startup company out here in Boston. And she came out by herself for a little while. We had a house back in, in our other area. And once we got toward the end of the fall semester, I hopped on out and kind of half moved in a little bit. And I was still doing a lot of back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. So she's kind of becoming the breadwinner at the moment. We are expecting in a couple of months And I'm looking, honestly, pretty excitedly about being dad and being able to be home a lot of my time. So I don't know if that's going to eat up too much of my my part-time kind of entrepreneurial stuff and I won't have any room for it. But yeah, that's where we're at and we're looking kind of excitedly at the next few months here. Well, congratulations on the pending fatherhood and the thoughts you have about combining all this together with spending time with your baby. And I love that it doesn't have to just be the person who gives birth to the baby stays home. You had a part in this as well. And when things are are different with people who identify as men or women, and we have lots of different role models doing interesting things with their family and with their career. So let's talk a little bit about career fulfillment. I know that's something that you have given a great deal of thought to. What are your opinions on how to create meaning in your life in general? So I'd actually had a conversation along these lines with someone recently. What I called 
kind of the weaponized work-life balance phrase, how a lot of us are trying to maintain some level of, of work-life balance, whatever we think that means. And I see a lot of people just immediately jump to like, okay, well, I want to be able to clock out and go home and go about my life as two totally separate entities. For me, that has never really been the case. I I believe very strongly in behaving as authentically as I can in all of the circumstances where I show up. So that means in a weird way that work kind of bleeds into my personal life periodically, where I might be up answering some emails just because I feel like answering emails related to work or something like that. And it doesn't bother me. Whereas for a lot of other people, I see that does. But likewise, when I'm at work, I feel very much like I can bring myself into that environment. And I've had a lot of experiences, especially while I was in school and grad school, where I was working jobs that I did not have that ability, right? There were much more tight environments, much more, say, micromanaged. I was really, really, really on the clock. And it just became so easy to be resentful of, of an environment like that, where I didn't feel like I could express my, my creativeness and, and that I, I wasn't trusted with a certain level of autonomy and freedom. And so finding a job that really resonates with who I want to be as a person allows it to permeate my life a little bit more fully. And I don't feel that that tension between work and life in the same way I see a lot of other people doing. I am 100% in your camp. And I even developed a quiz that I give to students in my class. And it helps them to look at scenarios that could be encountered in the work world when you graduate and start your professional identity. And we have a terminology we use, an integrator or a separator. And what you just described was you're an integrator. You are going to be taking care of some work things at home, maybe when the baby sleeping or whatever's happening. And also at work, maybe you're going to run to the pediatrician, whatever you need to do. And you said that bothers some people and it doesn't bother you. Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. Like I I see a lot of folks that are working, especially in certain industries that are very much like your, your standard nine to five traditional image of what work is supposed to be. And oftentimes what I hear them talking about is like, desperately waiting for that five o'clock to roll around and, and you know staring at the clock. And they seem to be totally governed by it. And I don't want to discourage that because I know a lot of people that really enjoy it. They, they love the idea of, okay, I get done at five o'clock and I set everything down. I go home and I'm with my family or my friends or I go out or I do all these things. But that's, it's just not how I, I function as well. I want there to be a little bit more fluid. And so looking for the career industry that kind of matches that, the types of positions within that industry that matches it really was an important part of the process for me. I don't think I could have been that that corporate kind of businessman. Like that's, that's just not my style. You know yourself really well. And what you're describing is something that I think students can learn from. And that is getting a feel for your own values and then making a choice. If you want the fluidity and more the work-life integration mm-hmm. versus the cutoff time where you unplug. What kinds of things in your life helped you come to this realization? I would say I'm fortunate to be a pretty introspective person by default, which I think depending on who folks are, they may not have much opportunity to to get that without some guidance first. But there are a lot of people I think that are already doing a lot of that work. That said, you you kind of hit the nail on the head with talking about values, right? It's having had a number of experiences that were outside of what I had experienced up until that point does a lot to make me kind of be like, hmm, do I want this and why or why not? I am routinely telling students that the probably the biggest thing that they can get is exposure to different 
different ideas and to know what's out there. You know, it's the difference between coming in as a first year student and saying, I'm going to be a doctor versus saying, I'm going to be a cardiologist working at this type of university or this type of institution or something like that. You need additional points of reference so you have more data and you can make the decision that's appropriate to you. Right. And getting that data could be putting your toe on your ankle in the water and just getting a little bit of a taste of what volunteering in a medical setting would be before you decide if you want to actually apply to medical school. And you studied music and now Mm -hmm. you are are in a whole different area. So do you feel like planning is important for an undergraduate student? (laughs) Or would you subscribe to another theoretical approach to making career decisions? Yeah, that's honestly one of the hardest things for me to be in a position to come down on one side or another. So I think probably the best story I could use to illustrate this is I had an opportunity to study abroad when I was an undergrad and I went abroad to England. The English school system is by comparison to kind of our liberal arts general education system that we use here is very rigid. You take a test that might be equivalent roughly to our SAT when you're about 16, 17. And based on the results of that, you're pretty well set into whether you're going to go to college or whether you're going to go to university. And college is a little bit more trades oriented, a little bit more like a community college or or trade school here. And then university is a bit more accelerated version of our university. So a lot of the folks that I had met there, they were on a basically what we might call a three plus one, like you're going to do three years of undergrad and a, a one year of grad. But that was the norm there. And To them, it was super, super, super confusing that we had a general education requirement that they just stopped doing once they got to university and that we would take an extra year in undergrad and an extra year in grad school to do the same thing. And I found that conversation fascinating because to me, I loved the liberal arts education. I'm such a generalist. I love to learn a little bit about all kinds of stuff. And I don't think I would have done as well in a situation where I had to make a decision at 16 or 17 about what I was going to do for a career 10, 10, 20, 30 years down the line. So I am biased 100% toward not making a concrete plan for my own purposes. But I recognize that there's an awful lot of people who take a tremendous amount of comfort in having something laid out in front of them that they can follow and having a really set plan. And I think it would also be a little bit irresponsible to just go in and wing everything, right? So I I think everybody has to do a bit of that self-exploration searching to figure out what level of structure do I need in order to get to whatever might be appropriate for me down the road. And there's certain fields that you absolutely have to do, right? If you're going to be a doctor, there's certain steps you have to take. That was never my path, so I, I didn't really need to be. And as you describe this process, again, starting to study music, now going into a career coaching kind of role and a university higher education professional role, what would you tell someone that's listening today that feels uncertain and confused about your concept of reflective introspection? Can you define Mm -hmm. that and tell a little about it? The first thing I would say is go talk to somebody. That's probably step one, no matter what. But yeah, thinking about someone who is a little bit confused or a little bit uncertain, honestly, probably working with someone who has a different perspective than you, whether it's a friend, whether it's a professional, it doesn't really matter. I think at the end of the day, that's enough to start getting the engine turning, I think, because so often people either don't have much experience thinking about these sorts of things on their own, they don't have much exposure to it, or on the other side of it, you're just too caught up in what's going on in your own head. And usually finding some outlet to either talk about 
about it, to write about it, forces you to put it kind of in a, a straight path in a way, instead of this kind of jumble that's inside your head that, you know, makes a weird chaotic sense to you. But when you have to explain it to somebody, like it's, you, you find out that maybe you're missing something, you you have gaps in your understanding, things like that. So honestly, I think most people, if, if they're feeling confused and uncertain about the paths and, and what they're trying to do. And you got to talk to somebody. It's a huge, huge, huge part. And that's why our office is here. So thank Rich. you for that plug. We will definitely <laughs> link the Career Development Center and the notion that everyone has a person assigned to them when they start their journey here, depending on the area that they're studying in. And that person, I always think about it, they're not a stakeholder. You know, they're not your, your family members or your significant other or your best friend. They're not trying to guide you towards something other than help you figure that out. And when you do your coaching with students, what kinds of things do you emphasize when they do come to talk to you? We've got a very particular population that I work with. I think you mentioned earlier, it's low-income students or students from first-generation college. And I think by default, most of them have a lot of that uncertainty and confusion because they're the first in their family to be on this trail and they don't have a role model or someone to, to kind of go with them. Now, some of them are fine, right? They come in and they're savvy enough to figure things out as they're, they're going and, and that's great. But the other ones really, you see that confusion and kind of the the call for help or the, the fact that they're lost or something. So the hard part is you have to approach, I think, pretty much everybody in a very individualized way. So it's hard for me to say, oh, this is how I work with everybody. And I'm, I'm sure in your office, it's, it's very similar. Right? But generally, I will say that I, step one is listening, right? I'm going to do whatever I can just to get you talking. And if I can't do it, I'm going to try to get you connected with somebody else in the office that maybe has a little bit of a different style and you might connect with them instead. But that, that's really the big thing is you have to be doing a lot of the talking. You have to be doing a lot of work because it doesn't make much sense for me to tell you what to do if it doesn't fit. And if I don't know you very well, it's definitely not going to fit unless it's just total random chance. Aside from that, I would say a lot of the work that I tend to focus on involves a lot of times values. So probably one of the best examples of students that are, are the most confused at our university and struggling with this kind of identity about where they're going are a lot of the students who are coming into the university first thinking that they're going to be bringing the medical profession, usually because they've been told, they've been coached throughout their lives that this is a good job, right? This is this is something that is worth your time and energy to attain. But they get in and they aren't doing so hot at chemistry and they decide like, oh my God, I have a crisis of faith. What am I going to do? And so then we start asking, well, why? Why did you want to be doing this in the first place? What do you want to do? What do you want to accomplish? Why? And suddenly we're getting into this kind of existential philosophical territory that people may not be used to thinking about when it comes to career exploration or things like that. But I think that's the important hard work is, is asking the why. And if you don't have a good answer, then you need more information. The why is such a great question. And what you said about connecting, I think I want to underscore because having someone just listen to you and help you work through it is really where the matter all happens. I love that so much. I'm curious about, so for our listeners, what is the symbol that is sitting next to you to right of your screen? And does that have to do with values, perhaps? A little bit, yeah. So this is the symbol for Tao. It's a Chinese character, which roughly means the way or the path. It's a central concept in a lot of Eastern philosophy from Confucianism and Taoism, and it kind of bleeds into some other stuff too, a little bit of Buddhism in there too. So it's kind of a funny, like circular thing. A student of mine back in 2019 was 
attending kind of a workshop and I was talking about the importance of play and, and thinking about the work that you do as play, which is really proud of this. And the student was like, oh, this stuff really sounds like this guy called Alan Watts. And I, in my head, I'm like, oh yeah, sure. Great. I'll let them have to look that up. And I'm actually there like, hmm, who's this guy who's stealing my thunder here? So I, I went and looked up some information about him and he was a British guy that was really, really into Eastern philosophy and was largely responsible for a lot of the, the westward movement, some of the Eastern ideas kind of in the 50s, somewhere around then. And I picked up a book of his called Tao of the Watercourse Way, which was all about Taoism. And it was the last book he was working on. He actually didn't finish it. A friend of his did because he died while writing. And to me, it felt an awful lot like kind of coming home with my own kind of philosophical and spiritual understanding. So the, the symbol there that Tao is kind of a central thing in this philosophy is, is about kind of the way and that there is a great way of things and a path to follow. We could probably go deep into that if, if you really want to, but it is a big part of, I think, how I tend to go through the world. Thank you for explaining that. Yes, because this is audio. So our listeners now can look that symbol up if they want and learn a little bit about the way, which sounds like it really resonated with you. Uh, All right, Josh, we're at our last question, which is our time machine question. And uh, we're going to go 20 years into the future. What would your older, wiser self need to say to you today? Or really, what do you need to hear today? Yeah, this is such an interesting question because I guess I'm most commonly used to hearing people say, like, oh, what do you want to get in 10 years from now or something like that? And usually when I'm faced with a question like this, my response is, I have no idea, right? I, I can barely think about a year ahead of time. Like everything's random, especially now. But we mentioned earlier that I think the biggest thing for me is that I'm, I'm about to have a baby. I'm about to be a dad. And thinking about my childhood and, and what I needed to hear as a, as a person growing up, especially as a person about to enter college, I think having me from 20 years into the future, talking to me now, probably its biggest piece of advice is going to be enjoy the ride. Take it for what it is, live it as it's coming, and all of the little bumps that come up along the way, that's all a part of it. So you can't downplay the negative stuff as much as you can hold on to the positive stuff, and you might as well try to enjoy all of it as best you can. Thank you. Thank you.